Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. This particular psalm was really David's personal story. If you know the story of King David, King David was a a man who was given the title by God himself, a man after God's own heart. He was a young man with a lot of promise. He had God's anointing upon his life. And yet David was a man like anybody else. And because he had risen to power, he almost felt like he was untouchable. Like his life would never get in the spot that it would no longer be close to God. And yet that's what what led up to the writing of this song. It's also a beautiful psalm because it has been sort of the benchmark, if you would, uh, for the children of Israel and for Christians now for 2,000 years to sing about God's mercy and forgiveness. I think that we all have this understanding that that we fall short of God's glory and sometimes our lives can get in a spot where we continue to go down a path of sin and rebellion and hiding from God, and it brings more and more destruction into our life. And what we'll see that King David sort of uh, shares with us in this psalm as we learn what sin is. It is rebellion and transgression against God. We also learn how we are forgiven and what does it mean to have true repentance. Now as a Christian, you've heard that we're called to flee temptation. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from it, right? Get away from it. We're told by Paul in Colossians chapter 3 that we're to put to death our, our flesh, our bodies, right? We're the, 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 the desires that our bodies have, you know, that are no longer compatible with following after Jesus Christ. He says, hey, mortify them. Put them to death. We're to beware of Satan's schemes. We're to understand that sin grows into a full-grown monster that destroys and kills. In the book of James, we learn about that. But we, also, but we do sin. And oftentimes when we sin, we're in a spot where we actually don't want to give it up yet. And we continue down that path that actually leads to more and more destruction. And we allow it to continue to grow out of control, thinking that we can handle it. And because sin is deceptive, our hearts are deceitful and wicked also, the Bible tells us. And Satan is a deceiver. It's kind of a recipe for disaster. That's what happens to King David. He learned that unrepentant sin in the life of a believer, it robs us of the joy of our salvation. In the middle of the psalm, he says, God, I want you to, re- to restore the joy that I have of knowing you and walking with you. Now, David's circumstances that led up to this, David one day, it says, in the spring, when the kings would go off t- with their armies and lead them into battle, David stayed back. And it says, in one evening, he took a walk on his rooftop. He saw a woman who was bathing there uh, nude, and he, and he inquires about her. And he finds out that it's actually one of his top soldiers. Uh, it's that man's wife. The man who's out in the battlefield right now where King David should have been leading the armies of Israel. He sees it as that man. Well, he sends her a little text message. She responds. They have this, you know, evening together. She sends word to him, I'm pregnant. And so David sends uh, a note to the commander of Israel's army and says, hey, send Uriah back. I want to hear what's going on. It says Uriah comes over to the house. They hang out. David gets him a little drunk. He says, try this, is from Napa. And he sends him home. And, and he, what he hears later the next day is that Uriah actually slept out on the porch with all the other like, servants. And so David's like, okay, this is not working. So he gets him really drunk the next night. And he sends him home with some Dom Perignon and says, listen, go enjoy your wife. Next morning, hey, why, why aren't you going home? Why aren't you going back? You're, you're like messing up my plans. 
And, and he says, how can I go and enjoy a night with my wife when Israel's armies are out in the field, my commander's out in the field? He said, I, I could not do that to my, my brothers in service. And so David hands him a note, and he gives it to the commander, and it's his own death sentence. So Uriah gets murdered, killed, and David covers it up. David takes her to be his wife, and lo and behold, four and a half months later, they have a baby, full grown. And everyone's just like, man, that's crazy. It usually takes us nine months to have a baby. And everyone was kind of clueless except for David and God. God sends a prophet Nathan to go and share a story with him. David gets all irked up and says, oh man, that person who did that, they deserve to die and to pay back fourfold. And Nathan looked at him and says, David, you are the man. And in that moment, conviction just hit David's heart. He realized that he had sinned greatly against God. In fact, we read in the text in, in, uh, in, in uh, 2 Samuel, but the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. David on the outside was cool, he was calm, uh, he, had, he seemed like he had it all together, but we learn through the psalm that he was torn up from the inside, and we see that it led to David to respond to the conviction of God in his life, and we see this incredible journey uh, of David's confession and repentance and his restoration and his renewal. It's Psalm 51. Let's read the first six verses together. David says this to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know, that my, transgre or for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. In verse 4, David says, Against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We'll begin there. David, number one, describes his confession, or we read about his confession, and his repentance. And he appeals to God's mercy and God's steadfast love. And David understands and knows that in God there's abundant mercy. And it's something you can't earn. It's something that you don't deserve. But he calls upon God because he knows that that's God's character. And God has this unchanging love. He used these terms, wash me and cleanse me. These were terms from the sacrificial system. And David requests really to deal with the inner heart that those sacrifices pointed to. Anytime a, a, an Israelite would sin against God, they had to prescribe, you know, bring this particular sacrifice to the temple. And that outward showing really represented, God, this is what I feel on the inside. God, I want you to wash me. God, I want you to cleanse me. God, I want you to purify my inner life. And he uses the word transgression. My transgression is before me. It's an interesting word. It means this, deliberate rebellion against the known will of God. When we sin, when we disobey God, when we deliberately go against his will, we know this, the condition of our heart of really truly confessing to him and repenting is really just saying, God, I own it. I own it. There's nothing worse to me when, when someone is sort of wrapped up in a, in a big giant mess of sin and disobedience to God and it begins to affect everybody else's life. When they begin to point at other situations and things that cause them to be in this spot. You know, David could have said, well, gosh, I have a lot of pressure. I'm the king of Israel, right? Or I'm a man, right? 
Boys will be what? Stupid. <laughs> you don't get to use your gender. You don't get to use your role. You don't get to use, you know, like, well, it, it was her. No, true confession, repentance is God, I own this. End of case, right? End of story. I'm owning this. God, I've, I've sinned against you. I've transgressed against your commands. He owns up to his rebellion, his disobedience. I love what 1 John chapter 1 tells us. It says that if we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. It's been called the Christian bar of soap. It's a promise of God that when you sin, because you are a sinner, you'll continue to sin. That you have this incredible gift from God that says, if I confess, here's what the word actually means. Confession means to say the same thing. To admit that you have fallen is different than actually confessing that you have sinned. Confession says, God, what you say is sin, I'm actually saying the same thing. And I've actually rebelled against you. There's no excuse that's given. It's just complete confession. And he's just relying upon the mercy and the grace of God. It's funny, he says, against you in verse 4, only you have I sinned. He sinned against the nation of Israel. He sinned against his own family. He sinned against um, Uriah, who he had murdered. He sinned against Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And certainly his decision had some major repercussions and ripple effect in a lot of people's lives. But David recognizes here, and I think that it's important for us to recognize that, man, when you and I deliberately choose to disobey God, we're deliberately choosing to sin against a holy God. And David calls it what it is. He offended God. He broke God's laws. He said, God, you are blameless in judgment. I did it. I can't blame you. James talks about that, saying that, hey, when you're, when, you're, when you're tempted, like, don't blame that on God. It comes from your own evil desire within us. In fact, that's what David, David gets to next. He says that I was actually born a sinner. When David said that in, in, in sin my, my mother conceived me, he wasn't saying like his mom was like fooling around with the milkman or something like that. I have no idea why the milkman gets blamed on all these children that are born. But anyways, that's what sort of was, I guess, in the 70s, everyone would say. Does anyone better remember when we had like a milkman? You guys remember like the producer guy dropping off milk at your house? Like in a glass bottle? Are you with me? Some of you? Okay. Those are great days. Just show up, milk outside. Anyways, so I guess the milkman's extremely good looking. I have no idea. But he's saying that he was born... With sin within him, sort of wired in his DNA. Letting us know that he's actually a person from the inception in that moment, you know, because he claims that he was a sinner from birth, from conception. You know, you don't teach um, little children to be sinners. You teach them to be, like, better about sinning, right? You don't teach a kid to lie. We had three boys growing up in our household. Some would have a mark on their face and crying. Like, so... Clearly somebody hits you, right? And then you know that it's, you know, the one that hit most. Like, dude, did you hit your brother? And then the other one was just an infant, so we know that that didn't happen yet. Did you hit your brother? Like, no? Like, okay. Like, you know, there's like cameras all over this house. We can see it happening. We know what's going on. You don't teach a kid to lie. A child just sort of knows. You know, 
a, we don't call a fish a fish because it swims. A fish swims because it's a fish. You, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a, help me with that, a sinner. It's like a part of our nature. And so David recognizes, not only do I have a sin nature, but I also have decisions that I make to choose to rebel. First John talks about that. If we claim to not have sin, we're a liar, or we make God to, out to be a liar. If we claim that we have not sinned, not only the nature of sin within us. Oh, by the way, this is why the best gift that you and I get is that these bodies finally will, will give way, and you get a brand new spiritual body in heaven where there is no sin. And by the way, there's no repercussions of sin. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more destruction. There's no more taxes. Like you and I get a brand new spiritual body that isn't, doesn't contain sin any longer. That's why the Bible says that, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God because it's sort of wired within us. Each and one of us is born with this sin nature. But through Jesus Christ, we don't stay with that nature controlling our life. When you become a believer, now you have the ability to not only be forgiven of sin, but also the power of sin is broken. And when you and I choose to sin, it's because we're choosing now to walk in, God, in the flesh and not walk by the Spirit of God, which Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. We have this ability to become more and more like Jesus Christ. The Bible describes that by, with a theological word, sanctification, where we're becoming more and more made in the image of God. And as we're moving more and more close to him, we have moments of mess up and we confess our sin and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We also read in the provision of, in the, the Lord's prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And then that provision of forgiveness and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. What a great promise we have that we can confess our sin. And we see David's confession and his repentance. What happens when a believer sins? Some of you might have grown up in church that you thought that, boy, if you sinned enough that now your, your membership is revoked from the kingdom of God, you're no longer God's child. That's not what happens. In fact, you're always a child of God. If you were born again, you were always his child. What happens is, is your sonship or daughtership is not hampered with. You're always a child of God, but your fellowship with God gets broken. And that's why David describes he's missing some joy. And that's what happens in the life of a Christian when they begin to sort of stray away from God and they have this sense of like, I don't have peace. I don't have joy. Perhaps there's an area of your life that actually is out of line with God and you get it realigned back with him and you confess it before him and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he says in verse 6 that you desire truth on the inside. Jesus described the kind of worshipers that God is seeking after. Those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord, this is the real me. Have you ever had moments in prayer before God? And you're just trying to like put on a show before him? You know, like just talking to him as if like he doesn't really know the real you. You know, the greatest privilege we have is communicating with our creator. And he already knows the words you and I will say before they come out. And he already knows what's going on in your life. And I wonder how many times David had continued to bring sacrifices to the temple because it was his duty as an Israelite to honor God and bring these sacrifices. And yet it was as if his heart was so far removed from it. We all get that, right? We've been in a worship service where you're just like, I'm singing these words, but I mean nothing what's going on. I'm praying these prayers, but my heart's not really into this. He says you desire truth in the inward part. God, this is who I am. 
David isn't asking, or God isn't asking rather, for David to be perfect, but he's asking David to walk in truth, to stop the lies. Your best moment on a Sunday morning like this would be to God, God, here's exactly what I'm thinking right now. This is exactly what I'm wanting to do. Lord, I tell you, Lord, help me to forgive those people, but honestly, Lord, I would love to just jack their life up. That would be a more honest prayer. Your neighbor's looking at you like, dude, they got something really going on wrong in their heart, but you're getting real with God. See, he says you desire truth in the inward part. And he says you give us wisdom there. God speaks to us in the inside. We hear not only his warnings there, don't we? Hey, don't go down this road. Hey, don't begin this relationship with that person. Hey, cut away from these people from your life. Stop going in this direction. Stop going to this place. But we also hear the wisdom of God that says, come clean now. Don't carry this around. You're not going to get away with it. And it's only going to continue to grow into a gigantic monster that you can't control that ultimately, James says, leads to death. So David says, God, here's my confession. God, here's my repentance. Repentance means to literally do a 180. I'm no longer going to live in that lie. I'm going in the direction of you, God. And next we see how God restores David and renews David's heart. David's restoration and renewal. He says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy. And gladness. Listen to his description. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, the result, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. That's that that thought that he had had Uriah killed. He says, deliver me from that, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight, or will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. So David responds with, God, then the children of Israel will be bringing right sacrifices before you with a a heart that is actually right with you. So David moves on to not his confession or beyond his confession repentance. Now he talks about his, his, his being restored and his renewal that he happens within his heart. That's what David wants. David wants renewal, man. He, he wants something rich again on the inside of his life. Again, remember this is a, a young man, a young Israelite. Who wasn't concerned about like you know all the all, all that you know um, young men were concerned with at the time you know being a soldier that everyone looked at and admired or you know or or, or becoming you know something great he was like this 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 uh, unthought of son the seventh son of of Jesse who wasn't even invited to the feast where Samuel came and said one of your sons is going to be the next king 
And so Samuel sees one of them is like, oh man, that guy's good looking. He's the next king. And God's like, no, that's not the next king. And he goes through all six of them. He's like, dude, you got any more sons? He's like, yeah, I got one. David, he's out taking care of the lambs. But it was out when he would watch over his father's lambs where he learned about God's glory and creation, where he wrote some of these psalms, where, where one of the psalms we'll look at during this series is Psalm 23, where he himself as a shepherd understood that that's who God was in his life. The Lord is my shepherd, he says, and I shall not want. David had this incredible heart relationship with God. He got it. That's why God said when he was a teen, he's a man after my own heart. His heart was after God. He wanted re relationship with God. And over time, and over opportunity, and, and over success, David's heart began to sort of stray and wander. And his life got into this position where he was willing to dishonor God by committing adultery, <clears throat> having that husband killed, and trying to cover it up before the whole nation of Israel. And now what's David want? He doesn't want one more fling with somebody else's wife on a rooftop. He doesn't want more riches or more treasure or more glory in his kingdom. He says, God, I want renewal. God, I want that relationship restored. He wants the presence of God in his life to be refreshed. And so he says, Lord, clean me up and draw me close again. His desire, see, this is where you and I know when you and I have actually fully come clean with God. Is sometimes we want the consequences of our decisions to be removed. If we're honest, right? Oh, Lord, I feel so bad about lying. Why? Because I was what? Caught. David says, God, I want, the, I want the thing that hinders closeness with you removed. I want the sin removed. David has some gnarly consequences that follow him through his whole life and affect his family and the entire nation of Israel. He isn't asking God, remove the consequences. He's saying, God, remove the offense because I need to be close to you again. I want closeness with you. He uses this, 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 um, this branch, the hyssop branch. It's an interesting choice of words that David uses because it was used uh, back in the book of Exodus. It was used during the Passover. And so the, the children of Israel, right, God's like, man, I'm going to get you out of this place. I'm break, jailbreak tonight. That's what God said. And what's going to happen is to get Pharaoh to actually finally just let you guys go is that the death angel's coming through and the firstborn of every family is going to die. Children of Israel, here's what you do to keep your firstborn safe. Take the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb, and you take that blood and you put it at the top of the doorpost and you put it on the two sides. Interesting, 2,000 years before Christ came, the symbol of a cross was on the doorpost. And the death angel would see the blood and pass over that house. In a very similar way, what happens to us. God looks down upon us right now, and, and, and if we're all honest... How many of y'all had like a perfect week? Nobody sinned this week? Yes, we did it again, guys. I think you and I can all look back on our week and go like, man, dude, what? Seriously, man? You ever look at yourself in the mirror and just like, really? Like, really? This, you're, how long have you been walking with God? And the Lord looks down upon us right now. You know what he sees? People who are completely righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed your heart and my heart. 
Our position is completely holy and righteous. Our practice, well, that's a different story. And that's why that provision for God's grace to always forgive us of our sins. The other use for the hyssop branch was when a leper was cleansed. See, in the, uh, kingdom, of, or in the kingdom of Israel, a leper was uh, excluded from fellowship with God's people and getting into the temple. But when they would be cleansed, they would go to the priest and the priest would take a hyssop branch. And it's as if David is saying, God, I need to cleanse me from my rebellion, and I need you to remove the alienation that I feel from you right now. He's saying, God, I want to be close. Cover me from the divine wrath that I deserve and the alienation and exclusion that I feel. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says about when a person fully comes you know, clean and, 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 and confesses sin. He says, when we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with with us. When David mentions his bones, isn't that crazy? Like, like, you know, bring joy to the bones that you have crushed. That's conviction. Have you felt just like this a heavy conviction from God? Like you were just wandering and this is not, a, you're not in a good spot. That is a gift from God. I have a lot of, especially when Tam and I were do, doing student ministry, a lot of times a kid would come and say, man, I just feel like that, that I'm no longer in God's kingdom. I feel so guilty because of my sin. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. There you go. You're, you're not, God's not done with you. People don't feel conviction who are away from God. But if you feel conviction in your heart, man, you're, it's all good still. God loves you. And that conviction, what a gift that is when God convicts our hearts and he causes us to respond. He says, Lord, let me hear joy and gladness again. Joy and gladness, it departs from us when we have an unrepentant heart. We're not willing to actually come clean and to confess before God. The Bible tells us in 1 John, John says, I write these things to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, our relationship is with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, and I write these things to you so that your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. John connects a Christian's joyful, glad heart with connection and fellowship with God. But when we walk in a way where it's like, God, I'm not listening. God, I'm not going to deal with that issue right now. God, I know that this is probably wrong, but... I've got this. And humanity in history has told us, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> it's going bad. Joy and gladness depart. He says, Lord, blot it out. And that's exactly what God does. I love what the prophet Micah says about how God was going to forgive and restore Israel. He said, once again, you'll have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Isn't that great? When God forgives your sin, according to Micah, he takes them and he throws them into the deepest sea. And one preacher has said, and he posts a sign out said that says, no fishing. You could tell that to your... Uh, your, your friends, too, and your family. Hey, no fishing. <laughs> Don't be digging up my bad stuff. All gone. Some of you guys have insurance. Actually, you all have insurance for cars, right? Remember the good old days when you didn't have to have insurance in California? I'm just kidding. You get insurance, and then you call them. I'm like, yeah, it happened. I had an accident, right? They're like, no problem, Mr. Hall. We'll take care of it, right? You know, you have accident forgiveness, Thank God God is not like, you know, Allstate because you find out you got two points on your record. 
and we're watching you for three years. You ever feel like that? You go, man, I'm so grateful God isn't like that. God takes your sin and he forgets it. We remember it. Our friends definitely remember it. But God forgets it. He says he takes our sin and he drops it into the deepest ocean. Complete, total forgiveness with God. And then David prays this prayer. Maybe it's a song that you remember singing, maybe in your early days as a Christian. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. He says, God, give me a heart that wants to stay faithful to you when he says, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore joy. As a king can have anything he wants, he really wants deep joy again. God, I remember what sweet fellowship that I had with you. Take me back there. Blot out my sin. Restore the joy to me. And he says, and sustain me with a willing spirit. You know what he's asking God in that moment? He's asking God, make me willing to obey. You know, it's okay for you and I to pray a prayer saying, God, I want to want more of you. And God, I also, I want to want more of you. If we're honest, sometimes we feel like, man, I feel like I ought to want God more in my life. And the best prayer you and I could pray is, God, help me to even want more of you. Because right now I'm in that spot where it's kind of absent. David says, God, sustain me with a willing spirit. Give me the heart that really wants to obey you. And the result, he says, I'll teach others. And sinners will return to you. You know what you can't do when you're wrapped up in your own sin and mess? Is you can't really help others. Isn't it like the worst when someone who has a... Like, they come to you with, like, some advice. You're like going, really? I kind of feel like you should start taking your own advice first, and then maybe you can help me. Jesus talks about this. When you and I look at a person and go, hey, I see a speck of dust in your eye. He says, all the while you have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. He says, Lord, I can't help anybody when I'm in this mess, but when I'm clean and when my heart's right with God, now I have the ability to actually help other people. And you know what happens? As he helps other people not understand, hey, look how right I am with God. You help other people say, look how good God is. He's forgiven me of this mess. It is okay for us, the children of God and the church, to be the most open and vulnerable people on this planet. Years ago, I was a part of a church, and there was a, a person, a guy that was a part of, of our fellowship in a different place. Uh, who had just a massive mess going on in his life. I mean, some serious addiction problems that destroyed his marriage, destroyed his family. And he was there on a Sunday morning in the back row. And I remember looking at him just going like, that dude's the freest guy in this room. Because you're only as free as your secrets. David's were all out there for everybody. You know what happened? Because David's mess was exposed and a psalm was written. Like when we get to heaven, go like, oh, you're David. Where's Uriah, right? <laughs> Everything's going to be fine in heaven. But his message was, if God can forgive me, and for centuries Christians saying it, man, if God could forgive David of that mess, boy, he can forgive me of my mess too. That's a great way to, to share God's love and mercy with people. A lot of people think they got to get their crud right before they come to church, right? Well, the greatest thing is say, man, my, my, my life's messed up. Boy, I've, I've blown it. I've ruined a marriage. I've done this. I've done that. And God is gracious and merciful and forgiven me. And that gives people hope. 
I remember speaking on King David in his life and his mess, one service, and a, a young man gave his life to Jesus that day. And I went up to him and said, so what's going on today, that today, because he'd been coming for over a year. And he said, if, when you said that God forgave David of that and the things that I've done and, and been a part of in my life, I thought to myself, wow, God can forgive me. Isn't that a beautiful testimony? He says, God, I'll sing again. I'll worship again. I'll testify of your mercy and grace. C.H. Spurgeon, again, he said, a great sinner pardon makes a great singer. If you've been forgiven much, you and I should be like that woman who was uh, the, the prostitute who came to Jesus and she wept at his feet and she washed her, his feet off with her hair. And this religious person is like, dude, like you should know this is a bad person who's touching you right now. And he says, she's been forgiven much, therefore she loves much. I think sometimes we, we think that maybe our version of sin is like, like there's perfection and then there's us you know, in here at RVC. And then there's a whole mess of people in the state of California. And they're really down here. I think that when you really look at the depths of your heart, you realize like, oh, you're super jacked up. And that ought to cause you and I to recognize, God, what else can I do but sing and love you and worship you because of all that you have done for me? Part of the beauty of this psalm again if God can forgive and restore David, he can do the same for me. Maybe you know someone who feels like they have blown it so far. They are so gone. Have them read this psalm and say, if God could forgive David, who is the king of Israel, and his little stone he threw in that, that water, it had a ripple effect that ruined an entire family. If God could forgive that, he can certainly forgive you. There's no sin that we can sin that is greater than the grace of God. Amen? So David said, God, I want to come to you. I want to draw near to you. He says, you don't need sacrifices. They mean nothing when your heart is not sincere. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, you draw near to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me, quoting Isaiah. Worship, communion, prayer, it can all become mechanical. God told the children of Israel, hey guys, shut the temple doors. I'm tired of you bringing your sacrifices in when your hearts aren't with me. David said, I don't want to be that guy anymore. He says, God's not looking for the gift. What he wants is he wants your heart. He says, a broken and contrite heart he will welcome. That is the best place to be, my friend, is to be broken, to know your potential, to know his mercy, and to stay in that broken state. I remember hearing about a, a pastor at a big church in Southern California. It was a church when I was down south. It started after we started, and it just blew up. That senior leader actually uh, uh, really chose to dishonor God in a, a pretty serious, severe way, committed adultery with somebody else that was in that congregation. And, uh, and many people didn't know, he continued to stay in a kind of restoration process with the elders for about a three-year period of time. The lead pastor told me about the experience of them bringing him on stage, saying, hey, this guy's working a different job, but he's fully restored in our eyes. He's been forgiven, and he's actually worked really hard at rebuilding his marriage, and it was an awesome moment. And then that lead pastor told me what he told him and says, hey, listen, Stay broken. Stay broken. Don't ever get your in that spot in your life where like, okay, I think I got this again. Like, no, no, no. Man, it's okay to just stay in a broken state. God, I'm a, I'm a broken mess. Joe and I had this conversation this week. We're really just wounded healers, aren't we? We're broken people who know a God of mercy and forgiveness, and we tell them, man, you ought to know this God of, of mercy and forgiveness too. You might have a friend who stopped going to church because they feel like, Man, how could I ever go back? 
all the things that I've done, all the things I've been a part of, all the things that I've been doing, and everybody knows it. Again, grace, mercy, forgiveness. A broken and contrite heart, God doesn't despise. He welcomes it. In verse 18 and 19, David says, Lord, do good to Zion. What is he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual health. He's saying, God, the spiritual health of the individuals makes up the spiritual health of the, of the whole. When you, as a, a, a leader of your family, when you are veering off away from God and living for him, that actually has an effect on your wife and your children. When a leader of a church veers off away from God, that has an effect on a congregation, doesn't it? And so David is saying, when the hearts of the people are individually right with God, the entire whole becomes this healthy thing, and they bring these right sacrifices before God. He says, Lord, bless Israel to be protected by you as we as a nation walk in your ways from the heart. You know, the basis of our forgiveness, it's not through religion. It's not through bringing sacrifices. It's not through even saying to God, I'm going to try harder, God. It's actually the basis of our forgiveness is the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, he says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son, and he forgave our sins. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ that we are declared not guilty, and we receive this imputed righteousness to our life. 2 Corinthians 2, 5, verse 21 says, that God made him who never sinned to become, the sin for, become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In practice, we sin. Our sonship and daughtership is not affected. You might be walking in some un unconfessed sin right now before God. And you're not out of this kingdom, but you and God have some business to do, be doing. There's some things that you need to get right with him. And to remember there is forgiveness at the cross. When we sin, God convicts our heart, we confess, we repent, and God is full of love and mercy. He restores us and he renews our heart. I want what David had after this. You know, David had this, this, this understanding after he wasn't perfect, he still sinned, he still needed, you know, the, the sacrifice, ultimately Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But I think that some of the things he took away were he had a deep sense of gratitude for what God had done and renewed, that renewed spiritual life that he had. He talks about restore the joy to me. In Psalm 32, it's sort of like the, the, the sequel to this psalm. Psalm 32, you know how it starts out? Oh, the happiness of the man whose sins are covered, whose transgressions God has removed from his life. The joy of restored relationship, the joy of knowing the, the debt of your sins has been paid, the joy of knowing that you have eternal life and that you have the hope of an eternal kingdom, not because you lived a perfect life, but because you had faith in a perfect Savior. I think he also had a greater hatred for sin and disobedience. You know, some of our problems as friends, honestly, is that we like to get as close to sin as we can and still be close to God. And you know what I find? Is that that's a deceptive trap. As soon as you get close, the devil changes the boundaries. And you're like, what the H-E double hockey sticks just happened to my life? I did not cuss, so please do not tell anybody I said something bad. A greater hatred for sin. Heed the warning sooner. Right now, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart. There's a relationship. There's something that you're toying around with. There's a place that you continue to sort of veer back in your life. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go there. 
Yes, there's forgiveness when you and I fall off that cliff. But I like the idea of not having to build a hospital at the bottom of the cliff. I'd like to actually have like a little, like a, hey, are you sure about this kind of moment before you fall off? And I think recognizing the destructive nature of sin. Forgiveness didn't ease the impact of the consequences for David, nor for us. We ought to be more serious about sins in our life. We ought to be more serious about getting free from them. We ought to be more serious about listening to the people God puts in our life. Sometimes we're so deceived that there's people in our life saying, dude, I, what you're doing is just jack, man. Like, what are you doing, man? I don't know if you ladies talk like that, but you should. Like, what are you doing, girl? Like, get away from this. Cut that situation off. Psalm 139, David closes that psalm. We talked about it weeks back. He says, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart, O oh God. See if there's any, he, he, cried, he said the word grievous way in me. It means way of pain. Is there anything in your life that's grieving God right now? David said, search me. I think that's a great way for us to close out this morning. God, search my heart. Is there any way, anything in my heart, is there any area of my life that is grievous to you? Anything that offends you? Anything that's in your life that is, 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 is a pattern that's leading to more and more destruction. You know, David didn't go zero to 100. It was little increments of stepping away from God. It wasn't that moment of opportunity. He had had, I'm sure we could look back and see, moments of, of, of giving in and yielding and yielding. And then there was that big crash. So you get right with God today. You know, I told you earlier that there are some next steps to take. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you, man, to take some next steps. Maybe your next step might be this morning, hey, I'm going to memorize Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Or maybe this week, one challenge would be to you is to, is to practice confession daily before God. Lord, I want to confess this is reality. This is where I've been. This is what I've been thinking. This is where I was at yesterday in my head. I'm just going to get it out and say it. He already knows, and he invites you into his presence. How much better David's life would have been had he walked off that rooftop and said, Lord, I was out there and I was, I was sinning and God, I want to put a stop to this before it goes to the next level. Practice confession daily. And maybe this morning for you, it's, it's man, you recognize today that you're outside of a relationship with God. You don't have a relationship with God. For you, Christianity in your mind is like, here's all the things you have to do for God to accept you. Here's, that's religion. Religion is human beings attempt to reach a righteous God. Christianity teaches that God is the one who's righteous who stepped down to this earth so that he could reach you. He lived a life you and I can't live, and he ultimately gave his life up on the cross. And so how do you enter a relationship with him? Well, you recognize that you have sinned, that you're a sinner before God. And you recognize or you ask God for, to forgive you and you're willing to turn away from your sin. That's what repentance means. You believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins and you receive him into your heart and into your life. It's more than believing a creed, though there are things that you and I believe that God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's about having the God of the universe come and take up residence in your life. As Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens that door, he says in Revelation 3.20, I will come in and I will dine with him. And it was this beautiful picture of relationship. And that's what God wants with each and every one of us. As a Christian, you and I living with unconfessed sin, that relationship gets hindered. As a person who's never committed your life to God, that relationship has to begin by you taking that step and believing in him. 
this morning, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. and I'm, We're going to lead a song and worship this morning. Again, we always have people available for prayer. If you need prayer this morning during our last song of worship or at the end of the service, they're available as well. But would you pray with me now? Father, thank you. We thank you for this beautiful psalm, Lord, that gives us instruction in what it means to truly confess to you and repent of sin. And Lord, we see that David, Lord, he had blown it in a really bad way, Lord. A lot of lives were affected because of it. And yet, Lord, you were merciful. He appealed to your loving kindness because that's who you are, Lord. You forgive us. And we thank you for that, <clears throat> that we can come to you. Lord, time and time again, Lord, and you forgive us. You patch us up. You put us on the right path. And Lord, we are eternally grateful for the blood of Jesus that continually cleanses of our sin and maintains our salvation for us. And Lord, I pray for my friends. God, some of them need to make a commitment this morning to, Lord, to start hiding, hiding your word in your heart, their hearts. God, we need to practice confessing daily. And Lord, there might be one person here that needs you, that needs salvation today. Lord, they're not certain that when they die, that they'll spend eternity with you, God. They might think that they have to be better, they ha that they have done enough good to cancel out their bad and their sin. Your word tells us that, God, there is none who is righteous, no, not one. And the only way to heaven, Lord, is through belief in a Savior that took away our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that they would open their hearts right now. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if that's you this morning, today you want to surrender your heart to God, you want your sin forgiven, I want you to acknowledge that this morning. Just lift up your hand, high enough so I can see it. Let's tell God together right where you're sitting that you want him in your life, that you want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today. If that's you, you lift your hand up. Anybody here this morning, you're ready to surrender to him. He loves each and every one of you today. But if that's you, you lift your hand. Anybody here today? Anybody here? Well, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that your blood covers all of our sins, Lord, that we've ever committed. Lord, that we're entangled with now, God, and Lord, that we will ever commit till the day of our departure. We thank you for your grace, God. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.